we might begin. We've got a couple more people that may um, still find us, but I think if we don't start, we'll never get through the um, track and pace and the, uh, and the amount of uh, things we have to get done. Um, so my name is Susan Lamarca, for those of you that don't, uh, haven't met me before. I'm the Executive Officer of SLAB. Uh, I'd like to begin uh, the forum this afternoon by acknowledging that today's activity is being held on the lands of the, the Wurundjeri people, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners of the land. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and to Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. I'd also like to acknowledge the significance of the traditional owners to the world of stories. So, we have a very action-packed afternoon. Most of our speakers only have 10 minutes, so we don't have long, um, any of us, and uh, we are going to be moving through very, very quickly. But I wanted to, very, before we get into the actual program itself, just remind those of you that aren't already booked in for it that we do have one more forum for the rest of the year, and that will be uh, we'll have a focus on graphic novels, and we're holding that at the Dream Factory, which is where Slav's actual offices are, for those of you that have not been there before. Um, we've confirmed um, Bernard Cleo, who obviously many of you probably already know. He's very um, speaks quite a lot about the area of graphic novels. Um, Rebecca Lucas from Kerry Grammar, who's a primary practitioner, is going to be talking about her use of graphic novels. Well, there will be some other guest speakers. Um, we'll see how we go. We're still confirming all of that. And uh, I also just wanted to say to you, we are currently planning 2020. Um, the forums have been a really fun way and a very informal way of us getting together and just being able to share ideas and uh, we, are, we will continue with the forums next year. So I'm certainly looking for any suggestions of topics or speakers that you think might fit in really well um, for our community. Obviously we're trying to talk to primaries and secondaries and anything at all to do with reading. So in, interested in any ideas and um, I have nothing, I've written it there, but also venues too. I mean, we've, got, we've been to some lovely schools over the last couple of years, but if anyone would like to have us visit with them, we'd always like to hear about that as well. Um, so there, just email me or, or grab me at, towards the end of the event and, and mention to me uh, your ideas for next year. We've already got a long list of, uh, of possible things. So. The first part of our, um, of, our, uh, of our program this afternoon is uh, our three practitioners. Alida is first. Alida Galati. Now, where is Alida? Oh, right, right there. And Alida is from uh, is one of the one of the librarians, uh, the Eye Centre librarian. Eye Centre. That's a wonderful title, Alida. Wonderful title at Loyola College. That's the one. Excellent. So, if we could welcome Alida, please. Okay, I have 10 minutes. I know that this talk fits within 10 minutes. I've timed myself. But having said that, <laughs> normally when I speak, I publicly I need to slow down. So today I'm going to go regular pace, but. Feel free to interrupt, ask questions, whatever. There are no secrets with this. So um, my name's Alida, one of six librarians at Loyola College. For those of you that, who don't know uh, my arrow, who Loyola College are, what we do, we are a secondary Catholic co-ed college, year 7 to 12. Um, we call ourselves the School of uh, Reading Challenges because from year 7 to 9 we have a whole lot of reading challenges that we have now got embedded into the English curriculum and students coming through for you know reading classes every two weeks and we do book buzzes and a whole lot of different challenges across those year levels. We also have challenges for the staff, so we've got a staff book club or book share as we call it where we have a reading challenge, uh, we've done other things like battle of the book. So we're open to trying anything that's going to engage students, engage staff and just get people talking about reading and reading obviously. So, why did we think about a summer reading challenge? It came about uh, in a couple of ways last year. Um, our head of library, um, Hope Doe, attended the Special Libraries Association conference in the US last year in uh, New Orleans, so she was very lucky. And she said there were quite a few schools and places talking about summer reading and challenges that they do. Uh, obviously, their summer holiday is longer than ours, but it's still a, a decent enough time here where we find people aren't reading as much in terms of the school reading. Um, we know public libraries here, I know Darabin have a summer reading challenge and we mm -hmm. thought how can we engage our people at our school in a challenge that isn't constrained to the academic year. But we didn't want to have to do a whole lot of work over the Christmas break and be having people log on and register reading or anything like that. So we needed to have something that was going to be really easy to manage and really easy to deal with when we get back to school. So, um, and also, as I said, you know, this summer slide, we do see students where we've built up this momentum during the year, getting people to read, and then all of a sudden they're stopping, and maybe they're reading their English novel, if we're lucky. 
So we thought we need to reduce that and keep some momentum and interest going. So what do we do to make it easy? What do we do to make it inclusive? The first thing we thought about was we need to align this somehow to the houses. And we've got <coughs> six houses in our school and they have a house cup and it's all very sporty and all very academic and that, all of that. I'm sure some of your schools uh, deal with that too. Um, we did approach the house heads of houses and all the rest of it to get it aligned to that. There's a little bit of resistance in that they said, oh, no, it's academic and it's attached to ribbons and this, that and the other. Why don't you buy your own cup and have your own house challenge? That was like the workaround. We thought, yep, we can do that. So we bought a nice big cup. We got the co-curricular people to buy us a cup. And that's how we managed to get it aligned to our houses. Then we thought we need to make it really easy. We need students, we need staff, and we need very few rules. So when it comes to rules, I can show you what the rules are. Two rules. By the way, all of this sort of yellow propaganda marketing stuff is what we use, okay? We had posters, we had banners, we had all of this stuff just sort of going around the school. The one rule, which is the most important, of course, is read a book over the summer holidays. A book from home, a book from our library, a book from the public library, a book from the op shop if you're at the beach, e-book, audio book, graphic novel, any book at all except your English novel. Okay, so it could be anything, all right? That's rule one. Rule two, within the first two weeks of school in February, you need to come to the library and have a conversation with one of the librarians. That conversation then gets marked off on a spreadsheet. So Joe Blow has read this book, they're in this house. And that conversation, because this is what we do with all of our challenges, we have two, three minute conversation with the student about the book they read, okay? And this is with all the challenges we ask about, how they would star rate it, and then basically go from there and see what they thought, talk about movie adaptations, talk about this, talk about that. Wherever the conversation leads, that's what it is. That one book gives that student one point for their house. It gets marked down on a spreadsheet. At the end of the two weeks, coming back to school, whichever house has got the most points wins the House Cup Challenge. So that's how easy it is. Now, the only pushback we had on that was the students who loved to read or who had read more than one book over the summer wanted to register multiple books and get multiple points for their house. And we just said, no, this is an inclusive challenge, like completely. We don't want the same people carrying the load for their house. So this way, even though Alexander so-and-so reads 20 books a week, he still only registers one book for his house, but he talks to all the people he knows who maybe aren't big readers, but they, he knows they've read a book, come and have a conversation. So it was a fantastic way of connecting with people at the start of the year. This leads me to, I'll just get to my, was it a success? Then yes, it was. Um, because we had conversations all over the shop in that first two weeks. At least 200 conversations were registered. There could have even been more that weren't noted down. About 70% were students, 30% <coughs> were staff. It was great to meet the new staff by having a conversation about their book. Great to reconnect with existing staff who said, oh, you know, I only ever read over the summer. And that way, what they did read could actually count to something towards the school. And it was really good as well because we hadn't thought about our incoming year sevens because, you know, it was new for us. So these new sevens are looking a bit lost around the school and other students are telling them, go have a conversation with the librarian. It's like, of course, the new year sevens. So we got them involved and already they were contributing towards their house and feeling like a part of the college, which was really, um, was terrific actually. And it meant because everyone was putting a book in, it wasn't just the sporty or the academic or the same people contributing. So it was a huge success. And we were having conversations all over the place. I had a table set up outside the library at recess and lunchtime. I was walking around the school with my notebook going to the lunchtime, talking to everybody. What did you read? What's your house? Let's talk about it for a minute. So it was huge. It was really good. A lot of work in those first couple of weeks when you're still trying to get new students through orientation sessions and everything else. But it was really worth it because it was the buzz term around the school. So would we do it again? Absolutely. Okay. We would do a couple of things differently. For instance, the launch. We launched it with a competition which was something that we'd seen that, that the National Library had done where you write a 10-word plot of a story and, you know, Harry Potter in 10 words, basically. And there was one for staff, one for students, and we had hampers and all the rest of it that they could win. So that was fantastic. But the other side of that was a morning tea where we had the heads of houses, school captains, uh, English department, everyone around for hot chocolates and donuts, launched it all, gave all the houses their posters so that they could promote it. But 
The house captains, because it was like October, November, their head space was elsewhere, year 12s. So we already know, we talked about it last week, as soon as the new house captains are nominated and put in place in the next few weeks, we will get them on board ready to start the promoting for their houses all the way through. So a little bit earlier and just managing that a bit differently. We will also, when we have our year sixes come through for their transition day in December, we will give them a flyer. So that way they know over the summer they're going to read a book and they can talk to us about it. Likewise for the feeder schools, we're thinking we'll put a flyer into their final newsletter of the year because at that point year seven, new, new year seven parents are still reading information from the school, thank you, and it means that they're more than likely going to engage. So my last slide very quickly is just some photos. So our morning tea launch, we had our hampers and competition at our front desk. We had me, for instance, outside the library, one of many conversations, and our team that won, the house, Macaulay, they haven't won anything in terms of cups for about 25 years. <laughs> so, fantastic. They accepted that at their house assembly for the year, for first house assembly, and at the big school college assembly, the very first one, we went on stage and presented, and they said, rock on, read on. They were so excited. So, it was fantastic. It takes a bit of work, a bit of energy, and, uh, but the momentum really, really picked up straight away. And it's nice and bright and colourful. And I've just said to Hope last week before she left, you need to just take the date off those posters and just make a generic <laughs> summer reading challenge and we'll just reuse it again. Yeah. But, um, but it was terrific. So, you know, very easy to do. It's just a matter of, well, doing it. Yeah. So that's me. In ten, under 10 minutes. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Elder. I forgot to actually say that our theme this afternoon is reading promotion. Sorry. Honestly, you can't get good help, can you? <laughs> So I am going to spend 10 minutes talking to you about something that I did when I was at Genizano. And let me just make sure I'm finding the right thing. Ah, this is what I need. All right. So most of you will know that before I took up the role as executive officer, I was at Genizano um, FCJ College, which is only about you know, a couple of minutes down the road from here in Kew. Um, I was there for about well, just under 10 years. And I'm going to show you um, a little program, well, I'm going to step you through the way this works. Uh, it's a little uh, free software that uh, almost 10 years ago uh, I stumbled across. Uh, my husband's a maths teacher and he worked, uh, not at Genizano, another school, and he had come across this Jeopardy quiz with someone who was using it for French, of all things, and he started using it in his maths classes. And I thought, aha, we could use this, obviously, um, for uh, book competitions. And so over the years that I was at Gen, I, I ran a number of them. I, I, I did it, uh, we used to ha have some very big celebrations. We had a two week liter literary festival where we had lots of different activities and we would certainly always have a Jeopardy quiz. Um, and we also would often use it at book week. Uh, we also used to have a literary afternoon tea once a term where we had uh, a, a book clubs from other schools come and visit and our own book clubs and we would run them for that as well. So over all that time, I made up lots and lots of quizzes. And I was, when I was thinking about something for today, I realised I've got all this wonderful stuff and no one's now using it. And I thought I'll put it all somewhere. So eventually, after, obviously after these events, we always send you a link for a survey, etc. And I will also be sending you a link to where all of this is going to be sitting and you'll be able to use any of it. Because it just seemed such a waste that it was um, not bad. Um, obviously, there's still, I think, um, Julia, who replaced me at Gen, is, I think, still using it. But um, I'm very happy to share. So it is free software. Because of that, it is a little bit clunky. It's, it's not, you know, anything free is never exactly perfect. Um, but it, I think it actually works really, really well. And I thought the easiest way to show it to you was just to actually step you through it. So when you um, actually go into this folder eventually, you'll have all of this stuff in the folder. Um, and to build it, uh, I'll show you how it works. So this is the actual program. And when you open um, this, you, you get this. And uh, uh, Stu is the man, I think, that made it. And I, I've not met Stu. I don't call it Stu's quiz boxes. I just call it the Jeopardy quizzes because to me it looks like a Jeopardy board. Um, and I, yeah, Stu, I don't know who Stu is. Um, so you get this, you, the first thing you get is this thing where it asks you how many people. Um, to, to show it to you, I have to actually go through these steps. 
And when you create it, you'll see, when you actually do this yourself later on, um, you'll see why. Um, and as I said, it is a little bit clunky being free software. Um, I mean, I've done everything to this thing. You cannot break it. I've, I've done everything all wrong many times. <coughs> so when you do get the folder, don't worry about clicking and whatever. You, you certainly can't hurt it. So you get to this area where you can put in your teams. You, you can have as many teams as you want, but it's probably better not to have too many. I probably should take it back a step. I've always used it for team events and the girls would, we would advertise it up to the event and the girls would put their teams up on the board and who they wanted to enter. Um, and we would have many heats across many year levels and all kinds of different things over the very many years we've used it. But you could also have it as single player. You, wouldn't, you don't necessarily have to have it um, as teams. We were trying to involve as many girls as possible in whatever the activity happened to be. So we'd have these sheets up, Jeopardy quiz. What we found is when we first started doing it, we didn't get so many. And then as soon as everyone saw it, because we would usually run them at lunchtime and they were such fun, then all of a sudden we had endless entries. Um, and people would be asking, when are you going to do the next one? So once you've done it a couple of times, um, I think you'll find, as we did, that it becomes really, really very popular. So it's just a matter of putting some names in here. So I'll just put um, Susan there and we'll leave the other one, Team 2, just so you can see the way it works. Then you, uh, it, it automatically opens for you the questions that you have created. And so, you, uh, I don't know whether you can read that. But you'll see here Harry Potter 4, Harry Potter 5, Harry Potter 6. That's because I, over the many years, we did lots of Harry Potter quizzes. Um, and there are others in there that are more general. So you've got Litfest, Afternoon Tea, um, and uh, Gen Xavier quiz. Now, I recycled heaps. So even though it might say Gen Quiz August 2012, it's highly likely I used it in 2010, and then I used it again in 2015, and I never bothered to change any of the names. All right. So you're going to have to play around with it if you're interested to find what you need. I just want to show you now how it works. Um, so once I, once I click on one, it populates it for me. You can change what... This, um, this picture is called the skin, and you can put other skins into it. If I hover up the top here, you'll see that it says skins there. You probably can't, actually. It's tiny, isn't it? Oh, you can't see that? Oh, good. So that's the skins, and there are some skins in there. I really only ever really used either Harry Potter or there's another one. If I get time, I'll show you. It's just got a whole lot of books. It just looks like a shelf. So then when you're in here, you can see the way it works. You have um, all the different uh, categories. So in this case, this is all about Harry, and there are um, six categories for Harry. And like any Jeopardy, those of you that remember how Jeopardy works... Yeah. 200 to 1,000, and obviously it's in, um, these are very, very hard. And these are very hard Harry Potter quizzes, actually. Um, Did you set up the um, titles? Is that automatic? No, you, you can set your own titles. Yeah. yeah, you can make up your own titles. The only things that are automatic are the actual, like, the, the guts of it, yeah? And then everything else you have to build. When you go in here, if I go into the questions editor, this is where I can actually edit the questions. So this is category one and I can go in and change the question and the answer um, in here, all right? But I'll take you back and show you what happens. So then basically you've got your, your teams in front of you, and they, you know, so I'll say, um, you know, Susan's team, and Susan's team will choose um, Harry's life for 600, and you need someone up the front that is working it, and the question comes up on the board, um, Susan's team answers, oh, I don't know, they say, or whatever. What's the answer? Does someone know? What is the school Aunt Marge told that Harry... Harry attends. I don't know who... At the moment, we don't care. So we just go reveal answer. There's the answer. And then let's say Susan got that right. So we give that a tick. And there's Susan's score. And we return to the board. And each time a, a panel disappears, it, it begins to reveal the picture. Yeah? And obviously, you know, for a lunch, uh, we usually wouldn't get through the whole board. Okay? Um, you can make it as easy or as hard as you like. I'll take it out and show you a couple of the others just so you can see. Um, if you go back in, and let's say we've got two players again on this, and then I've got these general ones. Well, let's try one. So these were obviously done for Litfest. Oh, no, that's a Harry one. I want to show you a different one. Um, you can change the skins, change the questions, change the categories. Uh, you can make it as easy or as hard as you like. You could use this with very tiny students. You could use this with the older girls. 
a lot of the quizzes in here, particularly the Harry, are quite hard. We had some very enthusiastic, um, really crazy kids that were book club mad um, and really into all of this. Let's try one of the general ones. That oh, why are they all Harry? Oh, and we'll change it at the top. So if we go in here, we can change the skin. I just want to show you the different ones. Okay, so that's the classics one. Um, and you can see this one, obviously this was set up uh, for the particular students, so we must have had kids that were reading John Green. So we had one whole row just on John Green. Um, Once Upon a Time is like fairy tales, classics. Uh, and then this side is all still Harry. So obviously this was one, this one was done when uh, we had girls that were, and, and obviously the boys at that point too, that were reading a lot of Harry, yeah? Um, that's all there really is to it and basically what I'm going to put into that folder is all of the quizzes that I've made and, and the actual guts of the program so that you can just go crazy, alright? It is, and believe you me, I, I mean, when it's on a big screen, yeah. you know, if you've got a big screen, it looks absolutely fantastic. Looks really official. And the other thing that I really loved about it was I did, over the years in all my time and all the different schools I've been in, I've run lots of competitions. But this one was really good because the team had to actually talk and decide what are we going to go for? Will we do Harry's life for a thousand, or will we do Harry's life for two hundred? What you know? How much do we know? Um, how hard is it going to be? And they had to talk about it. Uh, you know, when you do a quiz where you've got to get them to put their hand up or something, there's none of that because the team makes a decision and then answers the question. You don't have to argue about who put their hand up first or any of that. Over the years, I did things like that, which just drove me crazy because the whole the whole audience had put their hand up, and how do you know who got up their hand up first? So this gets rid of all that. Um, that's really all there is to it. Have I come done my time? I have. Is, is that anyone? No, no quick questions. Stew's quiz boxes. That was what it was called. <laughs> Stew's quiz boxes. Um, and when I put it all in the box, I'll also put the old quizzes I was given, which, which are French and whatever. So you could actually also promote this with your teachers to use in subject areas or, you know, sometimes you have science week or um, I, there's lots of things you could do with it. I mean, I only got as far as I got and I just thought it's such a waste that it's all just sitting there. I wanted, um, I wanted to share it with all of you, which I will do. Um, we would just say, okay, um, we would say something like um, uh, lunch finishes at half past three, uh, at, at 20 past three, oh, half past three. Yeah. 20 past three, that's when we stop. We actually never got through a board, okay. yeah, because they argue and it takes too long <laughs> and all of that. Um, and the yeah. winning team is the team with the most the points. The winning team is the team with the most points. Yeah. The program is very clunky, you can't alter any of the points. So I also found very early, don't argue about, oh, I'll give you half a mark no, or I'll give you whatever. It's either right or it's wrong <laughs> um, because I got it, oh, I'll give you half. And you can't make the program do that. No. So, you know, just, yeah. But you, you have to have another piece of paper if you're doing that. Um, it's really, it really is excellent. I, I, I've had a lot of fun with it and um, I hope you, you do too. Because um, uh, it's free, um, we can share it with anybody and I'm, I want SLAB members certainly to share it amongst anyone you know. Um, you're the first audience that are getting it in this way and uh, I really want, uh, want you to share it with anyone who might like to use it. And I'm going to hand over now to our next presenter who is the wonderful Bronwyn. Bronwyn MacDonald from Westbourne Grammar, Head of Library at Westbourne Grammar. And you have 10 minutes. Don't Madam? worry, it won't take 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, it won't take 10 minutes. I'll talk to you quickly. Um, just so you have a bit of an idea about um, Westbourne, it's, we actually have campuses at two locations. There's a Peter 3 at Williamstown, and at the Truganana campus we have a senior school, a early learning centre and a leading into a Peter 2. We have a Year 9 campus and we have another campus for three to six. But this uh, literature tour was um, year nine up, and unfortunately we did it a long time ago now, and I wish we did it every year. It was absolutely fantastic. If you can do it, it's a bit of a dream, but if you can, it's well, it's well worth it. I think in the future, I'd probably have to um, link in with humanities and try and join it with history, because we did a lot of that, and um, which was wonderful, but it was sort of almost lost. We needed to have some kind of follow-up and things like that with it. Um, I haven't got my glasses. Oh, there. sorry, just the That's right, yeah, no. I'll just go. Um, I think there are a few things we sh uh, if I did it again, that I'd do a little bit um, differently. Well, we did create a reading list 
and we did create journals and things like that. But I think I'd, I'd like to meet with the, the students beforehand. So they all get to know each other a bit and we discuss some of the works. So even if, if, you, if you decide to go to Stratford, make sure that someone at least has, um, we've discussed a Shakespeare or we've been to Hayworth, we've talked about Brontes and Jane Austen, to give some of them a bit of a context because some of the students who went were in year nine and were quite young and sort of started the tour as a trip to England rather than as a literature focus. So I think I'd plan things, I, d I did plan it, but I think I'd think about it a bit more about where we went and linking in with that history focus and um, thinking about, um, this meeting sort of semi-regularly, semi I think would be good. Now, these are the sorts of places that we went to. Um, it's not, not everything, but it was really quite tight, the timeline. And because from the very beginning we were delayed at Singapore, it had an immediate effect as soon as we landed. So I think about sort of having that extra day for the kids to sort of settle. We sort of came in, went to the hotel, there were a few issues there and then we just had to get going and they, they didn't have time for anything. But it, it was, I think if you had another, we did a lot more Beatrice Potter um, Museum, um, all sorts of places in the Lakes District. It was fantastic. I'll keep saying that because it was. But yeah, um, so factor in that day to explore as well in London because we didn't get that chance. And one of the things that happened was, things always happen when you're on, when you're doing anything, any kind of student trip, the bus broke down. <laughs> so here we are at the tower and then everyone's panicking because the um, buses has, broke, has broken down. We need to get to the Globe Theatre. But we're, we're Australian, we're used to big spaces, we walk. And so we walked it in less than 15 minutes. So I think if I thought about it, if I was involved in the planning next time, I would consider those things rather than what because it was such a good experience walking around um it was a director of english um at the time he i decided i investigated who you know going to the globe going to um hayworth all of that sort of stuff and he put it together with the actual logistics but i think we can walk around it gives the kids a bit of an, a cultural experience um as well i think Nowadays too, there's so much with the internet and so much to sort of availability of checking what's on. We book shows at the West End. I think we could think about what we were going to see beforehand. We did go and see something which was brilliant, but just have it all done beforehand so you don't have that factor in that time and you could just fit um, any more in. This is just a little, just a little tip. <laughs> no parents. No parents. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I won't go anymore. Um, now, we, I think that if I, if I was sort of involved, I'd check some of the locations. There's lots of um, companies out there who organise these literature tours. And when I did a quick search, there was far more than eight years ago when we went. So there's a lot more option and that they sort of really will link in and that they've got more... Um, it's, more, it's clearer where you're staying because some of the things weren't, like um, on the last day when... Um, one of the girls came up to me and said, is this cheese supposed to be green? <laughs> and then you speak to the, um, the, the kitchen person who said, no, it's okay, it doesn't run out until the 31st of September, which is not a real date. <laughs> so it's kind of... <laughs> now, we did have journals and the kids... I bought these really nice sort of little notebooks for the kids to, to write in and sort of explore, but we got caught up all the time. We were late. The bus driver didn't know where to go one night. And, and so that sort of, by the time you eat, that sort of collective time, we only did two or three nights. But I think now we use um, social media. They could blog and they could share and they could do it in their rooms um, at night at any time and really sort of explore that writing concept with it and that sort of thinking about where you've been and what you've, um, what you've been doing. But... Um, I don't know, I've probably spent about three minutes. Have I? I've got three minutes left? You can have, yeah, you okay. can have, have two. Um, I put in a couple of photos because it's pretty obvious how cool, how cool everything is. Like, it's so wonderful. And I was just like, you know, anyway. 
<laughs> and there's a couple of the girls photobombing me as I, I take a photo of Jane Austen's house, which sort of loses something in translation, but also shows exactly how much fun it was. And I think at the end, I think I would prefer that when we got back, we got together. Oh, you didn't? No. Okay. But I think you should, and really think about where you've been, what you've seen, what, well, how it's affected you, how, how you think you might do, think about things in the future, and all that sort of um, critical thinking, basically, about where you've been and what you've been doing. Mm. And that's about it. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> You're not going to take us all so long ago, too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We're doing really well. Jess, you're next. So our next speaker is uh, one of our wonderful creators who's here with us this afternoon, Jess McGeechan. Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's McGeechan, but that's McGeechan, fine. McGeechan, thank that's you. I, I thought I knew I'd get it wrong. Pronunciation under the sun. And uh, let's see, we had some things from you up here, didn't we? Uh, yes. We did, so let's see if we can find that. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> um, my name's Jess. Um, I'm an author and illustrator, as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. I my first book, Fly, which is really yeah. exciting. Yay! Yeah. Um, well done! So, um, I've been doing a lot of talks to very small people, so it's nice to talk to very young <laughs> people, but forgive me if I swap into small person voice, but I, my partner's a high school teacher, so she does that all the time. Um, so what I, I thought I'd talk to you a little about, a bit about the creative process behind the book, because I'm not sure if that's something that you get to see as much as librarians, how it sort of came together from my point of view. Um, so yeah, I, and I, I was trying to think of a way of presenting it to you, and I... I thought that maybe the process that I went through wasn't that dissimilar to the process that my protagonist goes through. Um, her name's Lucy and she finds a bird with a broken wing and builds a plane to help it fly. Um, and so I very tenuously linked the two and I'm hopefully going to tell you how to, or how I wrote and illustrated the picture book and how to make a plane at the same time. It's not approved by any aviation authorities, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't take any, you know, I'd take it with a grain of salt. But um, So the first step that I thought that um, I undertook, as did my, as did Lucy, was to sort of find inspiration. So um, I work as a graphic designer at Melbourne Museum, which is a pretty good day job. So um, I spend a lot of time drawing dinosaurs for good people, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and so for me, inspiration is not hugely hard to come by, which is really lucky. Um, but every day I, I walk past this beautiful old flying machine in the foyer of the Melbourne Museum. If you've ever been before, mm -hmm. you, might, you might have missed it because you do have to look up to see it. But it's this sort of beautiful plane that's built from canvas and bits of wood and all the things that probably shouldn't stay in the air for very long, but they do. Um, so I'm, I'm sure in part that has gone into my subconscious and, and provided a bit of a backbone for the story. Um, it's so hard to pinpoint exactly where inspiration comes from, but. I think it trickles in different places. So that, that definitely, I'm, I'm sure, lodged itself in my subconscious somewhere. So at some point that got me thinking about all the amazing people that were behind those planes and, and the, the pilots and especially the women that were pioneering at that time. You know, this is 100 years ago and people were willing to kind of strap themselves into very questionable designs and launch themselves up hills. So I, I really love that kind of story behind them. Um, so I did a little bit of research um, along those lines. I always sort of start with research in my work. Um, and it's, it's just such an enjoyable way of spending evenings after work is you know, finding other people's stories. So um, aviators like Bessie Coleman and um, Amelia Earhart um, just to have, have some incredible stories behind them. Um, and then I think another part of that inspiration, that's actually my mum. So she, she worked at Melbourne Museum as well for a long time and she's a scientific illustrator. So I've always been surrounded by natural history um, and trying to capture that in a way. So I'm sure she has played a huge role in where I am now and and looking at and observing um, nature and, and trying to find a way of drawing it. So, that, yeah, tenuous links, but they're, they're sort of, I think, partly where the inspiration came from. Um, so step two is to make a plan, as both Lucy and I do in the book. Um, and for me, this always starts with research, like I said. So because I am um, an illustrator and a writer, um, I sort of tend to do both at the same time, which I'm sorry it's not a satisfying answer, but it's, it's such a good way of bouncing different streams of storytelling off each other. So if I'm not drawing something, I can write it down. If the writing's not working, I will switch to a sketch. Um, so very early on in the process, I spent a lot of time at my library finding bird books and, and studying different ways that they move and, and different types of amazing birds. Um, I, I wasn't even too um, 
aware of what the story was going to be at this stage, but I knew I wanted to include something that had a metaphor for birds in it. Um, just the sort of variety of colours and species mm -hmm. was a, a really great way of uh, masking other themes. Um, and so from research, I'll often do a lot of models. <laughs> it's a really good way of procrastinating if you've got other work you need to be doing. <laughs> um, my partner's always in trouble for throwing out the toilet rolls because I'll need them for model making or something like that. But it, it's also a really good way of um, uh, turning something that's on a page to something that you can hold and, and turn and you can light it in different ways and you can, you know, if I've got a, a house, I'll, I'll often need to explore it from different windows or different views. So it's a really good way of taking something um, that's not 3D and, and turning into a really tactile thing. And like I said, it's a fun thing to do when you've run out of other things to do. Um, so yeah, these are some of the original um, bits and pieces I put together for Fly. Um, and so once that's kind of all together, um, I'll sort of start thinking about characters and locations. And you know, as, as you know, as lovers of stories, I sort of really think that locations tell as much of a story as the characters do. So I spend as much time as I possibly can world building and building little environments that my characters can then inhabit later. So these were just some early ideas for the shed that Lucy um, kind of uses to build her plane. I don't think that's a giveaway. No, I think that's pretty clear from the book. Uh, you know, and, and these, you can kind of almost see back to that initial research of those aviators, how that sort of come to influence Lucy's character design. Quite a practical look. Um, and I uh, intentionally don't gender my characters too much in their clothing. That's really important to me that they, you know, girls don't have to wear dresses and, you know, boys can if they want to as well. So that's sort of definitely something I think about when I design my characters. Um, so step three is to start building. Um, I don't use all of those things for my books, but Lucy did. Um, I always create thumbnails, um, and I often do sketch them out by hand and put them on a big pin board, and that gives me the flexibility to move them around and kind of get rid of them if I need to, just to get to that one simple narrative that I'm trying to tell. Um, these are quite early, and it's amazing looking back on them, how much I actually stuck to them. I, I, I hadn't looked at them for a while, and it's not dissimilar, the final product, to what they are here. Um, like I said, I'm always writing at the same time, so I'll have a manuscript going and try and match it to the thumbnails or um, intentionally make it not look like the thumbnails so it, they don't do the same thing. After that, I'll think about colour quite a lot. So colour is a really important way of um, addressing the mood of a story. So um, in this instance, I was really wanting the, to start quite bright and hopeful and then there's quite a sombre, dark moment in the middle where sort of something um, a bit sad happens and then it sort of moves to a more hopeful colour plan but um, perhaps not quite as bright as it was at the start. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that colour's such an amazing way of portraying mood, even without um, text or imagery on top of it. So that's definitely a consideration that I'm hoping to explore more in my work as I hopefully do more. Um, and then I'll take it into full page sketches. So just sketching out the full manuscript at 100%, um, which will really allow me to kind of flip through and see what's working and add in little details. And so I, I worked with the publisher on this book, which was great. Um, and actually the sort of stage that she saw it was about at this stage. So she came on board and um, helped me kind of polish up the story a little bit, but the sketches didn't change too much. And from there, I'll take it into sort of my finished artwork round, which is creating um, a little more sort of tactile paintings out of it. So I, I work on an iPad predominantly. So most of these are digital with sort of some handmade elements coming through as well. So. It's a really nice way of controlling, um, I guess, the depth without sort of wasting huge amounts of paper and stuffing up all the time. So uh, yeah, I still keep all the sketches that I had early, early on, but it, I, I do really like working in that way. Um, yeah, and these are some of the spreads from the book, which hopefully you'll get to have a look at tonight. So um, all of those small details that seem to take a long time are, are so important to the finished product. Um, so things like you know, making sure these frogs jumping out of the scene and the foreground and little bits and pieces. I, I really get a kick from that, even if nobody notices that they're there. <laughs> so that's the sort of, that's the making stage. And then the sort of last stage is kind of the launch of both the plane and the book, um, which has been a completely different challenge that I hadn't seen coming. One minute? Okay, we've got a minute. One minute. Um, which has just been a really enjoyable um, but challenging way of <laughs> taking this thing that's quite a, um, 
quite a solitary thing to do to, to write and to draw and, and now to have it and share it is incredibly gratifying um, to sort of read it to people and it, it's sort of been exposed through some um, awards and things like that but it's, it's just been wonderfully satisfying. And then I don't even know if I can show this to you but I've got a sneak peek of what I'm working on at the moment very quickly in 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah. So no, my like to keep flying is... Um, you know, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this process and I hope to, to do it again. So I'm, I'm working on another book in America called Colin Collects Colours, which is spelt correctly if you're in America, so it's not a tough one. Which is a really fun um, book about uh, adventure that goes on a quest to find colour in the world. Colin. And then this one I'm working on at the moment, which is due out next year, but it's... As your librarians, you will appreciate the, the, the lost library. Oh, yes, you'll sell many of those, <laughs> Jess. Yeah. It features a, li a librarian called Mrs. Hardback, so... Oh. <laughs> um, you haven't heard it from me, because I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to tell it to you yet, but um, that's what I'm working on at the moment, which is a really enjoyable um, project. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me and the process I went through, and it was lovely to speak to you. speaker this afternoon is Susan, Susan White. Where are you up back? I'm here. Wonderful. Author with a firm press. Take the shot. Do you have a copy in your hand? Excellent. I do. Now you don't have any vision, do you? No. Wonderful. I've gone very low tech. Fantastic. Does anyone use paper cards? No. Oh. My children were horrified, but never mind. So my name's Sue White. Um, it's really lovely to be here today to talk to you a bit about uh, my young adult novel, Take the Shot. Um, I thought I would start with a little experiment with you. I wanted you to think about the thing in your life that puts fire in your belly, the thing that you get up in the morning passionate about, the thing that you really love to do. And holding that thing, imagine how you would feel if you were told that for the sake of your health, you couldn't do that thing anymore. So for me now, that's writing fiction. Um, my day job is as a genetics doctor at the Children's Hospital and I love that job and I'm passionate about it, but writing fiction just puts a fire in my belly. And I think it would break my heart if I couldn't do that for some reason. So Take the Shot is about a boy called Bug, a 14-year-old basketball-obsessed boy who finds out that he's got a rare genetic condition called Marfan syndrome. Marfan syndrome um, makes people tall and skinny and at risk of serious heart problems. So Bug's parents, who are scarred by a recent tragic accident in their family, decide that Bug, it's too dangerous for Bug to play basketball anymore. So we meet him at the start of the novel, starting out at a new school, Fairfield High. I don't know if you know it, it's a mythical school in Melbourne's inner north. <laughs> um, struggling to make friends. And I thought I'd read a little bit of uh, when he's, he's starting at his new school. Thursday is PE. The teacher is a whopping, definitely not the librarian, a whopping big unsmiling guy who everyone calls killer. He looks like an undertaker in a tracksuit. Mum's been at me about the email Dad and I have to write about Marfan, but I've put her off up until now saying I don't even know the PE teacher's name. Imagine her face when I tell her he's called killer. Class starts in the school gym and Killer holds a basketball at arm's length like it's riddled with scabies. I take a basketball infested with scabies or fungus. Nothing a bit of cream won't fix. A tiny kernel of hope blossoms in my chest. Mum and Dad don't want me to play, but it'd be wrong, maybe even dangerous, to defy Killer in my first class. So they set up for a, a basketball drill um, and, and Bug lines up in a queue to, to lay up on one side of the basketball court. Very wise words. 
So people jostle for places in the queue and I already know who I want to avoid. Dulf and his mates haven't noticed me yet, surprising given I'm at least two heads taller than anyone else in year nine and I resemble an upright turd in Fairfield's dark brown uniform. I've seen Dulf though and seen how he treats the smallest girl in our class, Elodie, or Smelody as he calls her. I don't know if he picks on her because she has brown skin or because she's really short, but I know his type. It's only a matter of time before he zeroes in on me. Bug and Doof have a bit of an altercation, which doesn't go so well, and then Bug lines up to, to um, lay up and he has in mind that he's gonna do a spin shot to sort of show off his basketball skills. A spin shot involves dribbling towards the hoop, then turning away, pivoting in the air, jujitsu style, then launching the ball all the while keeping your balance. It requires nifty footwork, a challenge for my size 14s, but without an opponent, it should be a breeze. I push my glasses up my nose and take off, aware of someone from the other group dribbling down the court to my left. A dribble low and chill and pure joy fills my chest because I'm on the court with the ball, something I haven't done since the Marfan news. I feel free and happy and it takes all my self-control not to yell a wild, yes! I dribble until the hoop comes into view and I swing away into my spin. But with the happiness bursting from my chest, I put too much oomph into my swing and my ball lurches away from my body, leaving me no choice but to lurch with it, which brings my left foot to where my right foot should be and my legs wrap around each other like spaghetti. This is not going as planned. As I desperately try to regain my footing, I hear the thunder of feet to my left and someone is veering towards my side of the court, which is a bad idea because I'm still chasing my ball, feet, legs, balance. I lurch and tumble and try to release the ball when wham, I slam straight into a wall of muscle and I'm falling sideways into it, my hand grabbing onto something, anything to break my fall. But all I get is a handful of the muscly wall's shorts. Wall and I go down together. I thump on the ground, wall on top of me, both our basketballs bouncing out of court. Air pushed out of my lungs, pride in a puddle where I started my spin shot. I suck in a breath as the class guffaws and as the wall on top of me comes into focus, I notice Doof's frisbee flat face and the chickenpox scar near the temple. His shorts are around his knees exposing a pair of red jocks with a hole near the elastic. Sorry, Doof, that was an accident. Behind us, the class is still laughing. A few people have captured the moment on their phones. I curse my humongous feet and my clotzalicious tendencies. This was my chance to show everyone my stuff and I've blown it. Killer comes and stands over us. I take it no one has broken a bone. Nup, Doof says, kicking himself away from me. Good, off you go. Based on that performance, you might want to put your names down for the new mixed team. Forms are due tomorrow, remember. Um, sir, I ask, is that a mixed basketball team? No, it's a bag of mixed lollies, Killer says in a monotone. Of course it's mixed basketball. He glances at me, sprawled on the boards. And you seem to be naturally gifted. Killer means it as a dig and Doof's eyes glitter cold as snow, but I ignore them both. I've made it back on the court and I'm not letting go of that feeling. Marfan or not, girls and all, I have to work out how to get on that team. Mm -hmm. One minute, Susan. One minute, <laughs> I need to crack on. So, my story is about what happens to Bug when this opportunity to join a mixed team comes up. And he takes this opportunity, even though he thinks that he has an allergy to girls, he thinks, he knows that Doof, the school bully, is going to end up on the team. He knows that his parents can't find out about this team. And he knows that his friends can't know about Marfan because in his mind, that will end any possibility of him being part of the team and making new friends. So things hot up as his secrets get harder and harder to keep. And when the team makes the finals, he really has to choose between looking after his life 
and doing the thing that makes his life worth living. So even though Marfan is a very rare genetic condition, the themes of Take the Shot, I hope, are quite universal. It's a book about acceptance of ourselves as our gloriously weird and different individuals, including the bits that we don't really like. And I think those themes are really important for early adolescence, which is, I guess, the main target audience. As a genetics doctor, I get to meet a lot of young people with genetic conditions, and I really wanted to shine a light on what it's like for them to grow up feeling different. But let's face it, I think a lot of teenagers feel different from the pack. I certainly did as a teenager. Also wanted to explore what happens when the thing you're really passionate about could actually make you sick. A book about a life-threatening genetic condition sounds pretty heavy and so basketball and a bit of quirky humour of Bug's voice and the cringy girl-boy interactions were the things I tried to use to lighten the load of that story. Two of Bug's closest allies are girls and he has to get over his girl allergy when he realises they're the ones that are in his court. He's going through puberty in the story and is petrified that some unexpected action from who he calls the team in his shorts might embarrass him in front of the girls. Mm -hmm. His way of coping about with that is to give the team in his shorts his own little pep talks at critical moments. <laughs> um, I did have to use my imagination there, but I think that it worked out okay. But, um, my son, who's 14, won't give me any feedback on whether it's authentic <laughs> or not. Um, so if anyone, any of your students tell me, you can let me know. So who might enjoy this book? I guess it's predominantly for sort of the younger YA end of the audience, maybe 11 to 15 year olds. Certainly reluctant boy readers, I hope, would enjoy it. But it, it's, I don't think, a particularly gendered book. Um, and there's sort of key characters for girls and boys who are into sport, readers of John Green, um, and perhaps people, kids who like books like Wonder, where there's a bit of a um, medical theme and identity. I'm going to finish with a little haiku for you. It's a kind of a basketball blessing. comes from the nana in the book who is into wearing caftans, writing haiku and sort of speaking them spontaneously at often inappropriate moments. Um, so in the spirit of that, may the court be yours and whatever life throws you, may you take your shot. Thank you very much. Now we have Alice. Uh, where is Alice? Oh, yeah. Alice is up the back. Alice Boa Endicott. Now Alice is here representing Love Oz YA, yeah. but I believe she's actually also a published writer, so that's rather exciting yes, as well. So but you're not going to talk to us about that today, are you? No, Do you I have won't. any slides? No, I didn't. I didn't prepare anything. Excellent. Actually, that's not true. You have a flyer in your bags, and I was so impressed with myself. <laughs> I didn't do any presentation. <laughs> so Love Oz YA, if you haven't heard of it, it's a community. It, it started, uh, I think, 2015, 2016, and it was a community movement born on the internet about people who are passionate about Australian young adult literature, so literature written by Australians set in Australia. And in advocating that and you know, pr promoting it to the community, um, now in 2019, it's gotten to the stage where it's kind of at a critical juncture. Um, it's gotten more momentum than I think the previous committees have really known what to do with. So the committee that I'm a part of, and we've just come on in uh, June, July, we're looking to incorporate. So we're really making and wanting Love Oswaya to become a presence that's really quite significant within the Australian literary landscape. Um, it's really, really exciting, uh, but it's also like a little bit terrifying because they say things like, you're legally liable for stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not liable for a plant. But anyway, so I thought what I was going to do today is tell you who we are, what we do, where we want to go, and what those challenges are, and in particular in regard to those challenges, what the role of libraries and school libraries are in both facilitating that and how we can work with you. So. We act as a place for centralising information, so we have a monthly e-newsletter that goes out talking about new releases from Australian authors, events that are happening, um, and any news that might be, any award news that might be coming out. We exist, so we do author Q&As. We also just a space that encourages and fosters discussion about uh, Australian young adult books. 
The challenge, where we want to move that to is we, like, especially with the decline of Reading Matters and with the Centre for Youth Literature, which I'm sure you're all heard of and are quite sad about, um, I actually came up through that at various points in my life, so I'm devastated. But we'd like to really fill that space because we think it's such an important, uh, it plays such an important role, especially in connecting young people with books that are written by, by individuals in the country of, of their birth, realistically. So the challenges and where we'd like to move is, we've got a great audience at the moment of people who are passionate about young adult literature, who are passionate about Australian authors, and most of them are women in their 20s in Melbourne, which is fabulous, but not, you know, there's a huge demographic that we're missing out on. In particular, we want to connect and we're aware of how important it is for young people to be reading books not only by John Green, but by Australian authors. So how do we connect with children is, and how do we connect with young readers is really the big challenge that we're facing at the moment. Um, and amongst that are questions like, why is there such a decline between primary school and secondary school in, and that drop in readership? Um, how do you engage with young people when, when the social media that you're using and that the generation above you is you know, struggling with isn't the isn't the soft isn't the um, social media that the generation below you is using? So Instagram is still pretty big amongst fifteen to twenty two year olds, but Snapchat is even bigger. Although I'm really hoping it dies because I hate it on a personal note. Um, I really just loathe it. Um, so those kinds of questions that we have and those kinds of issues that we struggle with are the ones that are we're, we're trying to overcome. The biggest thing that we have is the resource of the amazing people who work in school. And I think school libraries are amazing. I work out of a school library um, and it's just the most warm, comforting, welcoming place in the absolute whole wide world as far as I'm concerned. So, school, you know, the, the role of people and being, being involved with what we're doing and telling us what's going on and telling us what we need and what you need is, is the most crucial thing that we, we, we can ask for and we can identify at this point in time you know, we don't know what we don't know at this stage. So we are looking to introduce a number of initiatives. Oh, and the other problem is a lot of literary um, events are centered in Melbourne, which is really fabulous. But I think I, I heard you saying, Susan, that th this is podcast yes, to regional is. centers as well. Uh, well, it goes out to anybody, but it's exactly. listens yeah. all over the place. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's in a regional center or anyone who's not really in Melbourne or Sydney, it's really difficult to access information about authors to access those authors unless for some reason they can fly out to Darwin uh, seems unlikely um, and so we're looking at how we can use digital spaces use you know the fact that there is this amazing talent across Australia and across the various schools to uh, really promote Australian young adult authors um, because of course teenagers also go with what they know and what's popular and what's popular is often people coming from or authors coming from the US or the UK so those are the challenges that we're facing and that we're aware of when we're looking to overcome what are we doing in the in the in the immediate short term well in October and it's um, I put it on the flyer I was really proud of myself because I'm not a graphic designer by any means of the imagination we're running a book bingo so what that looks like online is you download the square and any books that feel, fulfill the category, you tick off and you tag on social media. So it's just a great way to get people involved. Um, on a library level, you can just get students involved on that. What we'd really like to do is we'd really like to run a version of that. And I think, is it Alita or Alita? Alita. Right, so I think what you were talking about with the um, reading competition across the summer break, that's a really fabulous initiative and there are obvious dovetails there because- One minute, Alice. Great, I'm actually on Wales Point. Yes. Um, but uh, what we'd like to do is we'd like to offer the first really 10 young people who complete the book bingo a, a giveaway pack um, when they email in and tell us, you know, like a line of each book and how it's fulfilled the various criteria so that we actually have that direct engagement. But the best way to do that, this, and the best way to, you know, really foster a readership of Australian voices and Australian stories, which are insanely diverse and there's such an incredible talent pool, is really to know what the people who are interacting with those students and those readers on a daily level and a daily basis are. So please, please, please contact us and tell us what you need because that's what we'd like to try and fulfill at the end of the day. That's it. Wonderful. Thank you, Thank you so much.
Normally at this part of the evening, you, those of you that have been before, you'll know that Kristen comes over from the kids' bookshop and talks to us um, about ten books in ten minutes. And do you know where she is? She's in Paris. <laughs> um, and I know she's talking about books that are all in the bookshop. until today 
um, beautifully presented uh, across all of the different um, uh, areas of science, from maths to meteorology, geology, genetics, everything's represented there in that beautiful DK way. Um, and a couple of others that I think would make really terrific prizes. Dinosaurs and Prehistoric Life. This is a really great, um, beautiful big book. Heavy, uh, kind of one of those books that you just pick up and pour over. Beautiful photographs, beautiful illustrations, beautifully presented in that DK way with the white background. Um, lots to dip into. It's a beautiful big book. And for those who are lovers of fashion, look at this bright green last year. Uh, the art book was bright pink. This year the uh, fashion book is bright green on the outside, but beautifully presenting fashion across the uh, across the decades, right through uh, um, from ancient history right through until today. So that's a brilliant prize and also a lovely one for the uh, for the library. I want to spend a little bit of time on this book about a girl is non-fiction, it's, it's the true story of uh, Rebecca Robertson's daughter Georgie Stone. Georgie is a transgender woman, um, she was born a male and uh, it is the story of, of, it's a mother's story, it is heartbreaking, it is difficult to read at times, it is compelling and it should be read by uh, young adults, it should be read by teachers, librarians, adults, mothers, fathers, grandparents. It's one of those books that uh, is a story that everybody should know about, just how difficult it can be. If you ever get a chance to hear Rebecca speak about this story, it's, it's about, it's out now in September, she will be out and about doing events. Please go and find her because um, she is a very, she is a compelling speaker herself and I uh, heard her speak the other day and you could have heard a pin drop in the room. This is um, an extraordinary story. It is a mother's powerful story of raising a transgender child. That's exactly what it is. Um, don't miss it. It's, it's uh, one of a kind. I, before we go, I just wanted to mention, as ever, if you want to leave one of these with Sam at the bookstore. Uh, if you wanted to contact us for any reason whatsoever about book fairs, literary breakfasts and dinners, literature festivals, lit circles, I've updated the lit circle list for years three to six. It's very comprehensive. It does include a whole lot of new books now. So if you want one of those, if you're interested in purchasing uh, lit circle stuff, just say so. Email us at hello at thekidsbookshop.com.au or leave one of these with Sam and he'll pass it on. Um, taking bookings for book fairs next year too. We've had some terrific book fairs uh, this year. And happy book week. That's because I'm doing this in book week. Okay, see you next time. <laughs> I don't think I'd email her. I think she's in Paris. I don't think she's <laughs> going to answer you. <laughs> Excellent, wonderful. Thank you everyone for sticking to time so brilliantly. Please do have a cuppa before you go. If you'd like something, have another look in the bookshop. Get Jess or Susan to sign something. Can I just say, this is the second time we've used um, Ruth's wonderful little school as our venue, and if you wouldn't mind joining me in thanking her. And I'll, I'll just... <laughs> small, small token of our appreciation, Madam. Thank you for the school. So, travel safe, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you.